You're listening to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. This is episode number 56. In this episode, an interview with Husseinia Akil Bangshika. Welcome to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. My name is Dave Stahoviak. This is the show where we empower you to study the issues, be a voice, and make a difference in ending human trafficking. And I am here in the studio myself this time because I'm bringing to you an interview that Sandy had recorded previously. The Global Center for Women and Justice here at Vanguard University joined with Nigerian Women Against Violence to host a conference at Vanguard University to address violence against women and human trafficking in Nigeria. And the conference participants were leaders from six states in Nigeria and included our guest, Husseinia Akil Bangshika, a journalist at the government radio station named the Federal Radio Corporation of Nigeria. And the Federal Radio Corporation of Nigeria is the pioneer broadcast organization in Nigeria with a rich culture of excellence. The corporation has evolved through different stages to become what it is today, the largest radio network in Africa. And Sandy conducted this interview during the conference, so I'm so pleased to be able to bring it to you here right now. Sandy, take it away. My name is Sandy Morgan, and I am sitting here at Vanguard University with a guest from the country of Nigeria, Husseina Akila Bangshika, is a journalist from Nigeria who broadcasts on the government radio station and is very knowledgeable, particularly about women's issues and human rights issues in her country. So welcome to our Ending Human Trafficking podcast. Thank you, Sandy. I um, have enjoyed the last few days here at this conference on Nigerian Women Against Violence and learning a lot about the issues that, and really their challenges, that face your country. But to see a group of women gathering together, and a few men, because we always need the men at the table, is a sign of hope that we will make progress. And I'm very happy to be part of this in a very small way. When we talked about human trafficking during the conference, one of the areas that I'm very focused on is prevention. And so I'd like to ask you about three or four questions about how we can help come alongside Nigeria to do prevention. When I lived in Greece, I saw many Nigerians who were human slaves, modern-day slaves, and always their stories were stories of, of vulnerability, of youth, youth with dreams, hoping to get something better and taking a job, but not having opportunities. So tell us about Nigeria, and then let's talk about what the best hopes are for the future for prevention. Thank you, Sandy, once again. And um, i like to say that um, Nigeria is a big country, a very big country with 36 states and a federal capital city, Abuja. And uh, that's just more like one more state. Um, What's the population? Well, 
by the 2006 census, that was the last census. I will refer to it. We are yet to conduct another census. So by the 2006 census, the population was uh, 160 million. But by projections now, from 2006 to now, it's about 170 million. So um, uh, I, Nigeria, as you know, was a British colony. And uh, it has had a lot of military interventions when it tried to now return to democratic rule. So the experimentation at democratic rule were always interrupted until 1999 when we had elections, the military left the political scene and today from 1999 to this day we've had an uninterrupted democratic rule. So mm. I think that is, I want you to have a background as to where Nigeria is coming from. The military interruptions drew back Nigeria's development. But now, 13 years is not enough to talk much about a country. But for Nigeria, it's significant. It's significant because we've never had 13 years of uninterrupted democratic rule since we gained independence in 1960. So, uh, we all know military in political leadership aren't the best for any nation. So, you will agree with me that the interruptions also brought about setbacks which ordinarily shouldn't have been there if we had heard smooth transition in democratic rule. Now, the frequent interruptions in political leadership brought setbacks that today is showing. You know, when you sow a seed today, Sandy, it doesn't grow immediately. Mm. It takes years before it grows matures and then it gives you the fruit or the seeds. Now, those interruptions were like sowing seeds of underdevelopment. Mm. And today, many years after, it has given birth to so many vices in the country. Mm. Population has grown. Whatever interruptions you have in governance do not stop people from giving birth. That's right. People continue to multiply. And today we have a democratic rule. But the misgovernance of yesterday has now given birth to a lot of socio-political and economic problems. In the education sector, we have setbacks. The economy, we have setbacks. In agriculture, we had setbacks. In every area of development, we had setbacks just due to those set, uh, military uh, interventions in political leadership. Now, because of the setbacks, it has ripple effect on the families. It has ripple effect on employment. It has ripple effect on jobs. There are no jobs. There's unemployment. And then the economic recession came in. The mm. purchasing power isn't there anymore. Now, the talking about Human trafficking, mm. which is our area of interest. Human trafficking is an international phenomenon already because we know that right here it happens on a local level, it happens in Europe on a local level. But I would agree with the speakers, like we had in the conference, the major supplier of humans for trafficking is Africa. And by implication, Nigeria, being the most populous 
country in Africa. Hmm. Nigeria provides a large percentage of the people that are trafficked to Europe, to America, to other parts of the world. But I have laid a foundation to telling you the problems we have at home. Families grow. The purchasing power is not there. And then economic recessions come in. Now, families or parents can no longer take care of their children. And therefore, somebody comes to say, Oh, there are beautiful jobs in Europe. We mm. get you employed. People are ignorant. They don't have information. The villager, the villager, the father and mother down there in the village do not have information. They've never been to the capital city of their states, not to talk of the capital city of Nigeria, Abuja. Then somebody comes to say there are jobs in Abuja, there are jobs in Lagos, and they, they say, oh, maybe this is what we've been waiting for. Extra money to feed extra mouths. Hmm. Then you let your child to go to Lagos from Lagos. Before you know it, your child is elsewhere in Europe. Now, there is a problem. We have this things happening in all parts of the country, though on, in a, uh, on a different scale. You, what you have in the south-south is much more than what you have in the north. Hmm. Because you still have girls trafficked to the Middle East. To go and work as domestic servants, but some of them end up as sex slaves as well for the household uh, heads of the households where they work as domestic servants. Now, I would like to say something, Sandy, that even though Nigeria produces or contributes the larger percentage of trafficked persons into other countries. Nigeria is doing something at the local level. Mm. The local efforts is something that we expect all countries to do, local efforts, because the situations vary from one country to the other. The economic situations, the institutions vary, because in some countries like America, you have strong institutions. In Nigeria, you do not really have very strong institutions. Mm. We are still growing. There are no strong institutions. Now, we have NGOs helping to end human trafficking. We also have the government agency, National Agency for the Prohibition of Trafficking in Persons. We call it NAPTIP. Now, it's funded by government. It tries to rescue investigate, rescue, rehabilitate, and try to reintegrate. But this effort in itself is like a drop in the ocean because of the magnitude of the problem. Mm. But the efforts are genuine. They have a legal backing. There's a legal, there's a law establishing the agency, and therefore it's funded by government. They have a budget. But as I said, in comparison to the magnitude or the largeness of the problem, it's like a drop in the water. Some years ago, we know wife of the vi former vice president, Titi Abubakar, had an NGO, Wat Cliff, that's also trying to rescue girls that are, have been trafficked in Europe, res rescue them, bring them back home, rehabilitate them. And she's done a lot of that in the past. I don't know the status of the NGO now, but I, it's still existing. But I don't know how much they are doing at the moment. Because the center is still there. Now, what am I trying to say? If Nigeria is trying 
at that level, at the local level like that. I think other countries, other stakeholders, all countries that receive traffic persons or produce traffic persons are stakeholders. Mm-hmm. They are interest groups, either as receivers or takers of traffic persons. Now, I expect that since it has become a global problem, then it needs global approach. We need global solutions. We need to sit down. Governments in Africa, heads of governments in Africa, and heads of governments in Europe, America, Asia, wherever they are, need to come together and talk about human trafficking. It's beyond what Nigeria can handle. It's beyond what America can handle. Because there is a producer nation, there is a receiver nation. So except the leaders of this government also gather to talk about it and come up with a single strategy, single workable strategy, and taking into cognizance the peculiarities of every single country, then we, it's like we're not, I don't think we can, we can achieve much if we stand individually to try to do the little we can do just at home. There has to be a, a meeting point to talk about it, Already you can't deny the fact that it exists. You can't deny the fact that there are there is demand and there is supply. Mm-hmm. How do you now stem down the incidence of demand? How do you stem down the incidence of supply? Except the supplier nations and the receiver nations come together and talk. So a receiver nation, um, the U.S., is a place, a destination. And so no matter... All of the things we talked about in the conference about prevention, educating girls, finding jobs, building um, community development so there are jobs for young people so they won't be vulnerable to the recruiters who come and say there's a wonderful job in the city. Um, as long as the destination countries are still making big demands, uh, are there still, no matter what, there's still going to be a problem? Sandy, this demands a multi-pruned approach. Mm-hmm. It's a hydra-headed problem. It's a hydra-headed uh, menace. And mm. it demands a hydra-headed or multi-pruned approach. While mm-hmm. you try to stem the tide of poverty, incidences of poverty, you have to also talk about getting the people to know that there isn't any job in Europe. Mm. They need enlightenment. They need awareness. They need education. They need to know that if there are jobs in the United States for everybody, then Americans will not go to Nigeria looking for businesses. Mm. Okay? If your country will be self-sufficient on its own without another nation, then they wouldn't be going to... So we all need each other, but in a different way. All I'm saying... the ignorant, uneducated father and mother in the village need to be educated. Somebody has to go down to their level to let them know that there are no jobs in the manner in which they are presented. So how do we do that in Nigeria, in the village? Do they have radio so they can hear you? They have radio stations, but I think what we need to do is Mm -hmm. face-to-face awareness campaigns. You go down to the village square. Mm. Get the word head or the village head. You first, I talked about lobbying the other day, mm-hmm. the traditional institution. When you have the emir or the first class traditional ruler at the state level, 
at the local government level, he has lieutenants. Down to the ward level, the minutest village level, he has lieutenants. So you go down to the first class traditional ruler or the parama ruler, as the case may be, and you lobby. Then you go down to the level. In some states, it's so easy. Once you come to the paramount ruler or traditional ruler at the state level, he sends down the message. He has hierarchy of command down mm. the ladder too. But in some states, you have to also talk to the paramount ruler at the state level. You go down to the local government by yourself. Then you go down to the ward head by yourself. Then you go down to the village level by yourself. So it depends on the state you are going to because there are slight differences. So now, except you go down to that interpersonal level to talk and let them know with the benefit of documented evidence, mm -hmm. like films, like uh, photographs or victims talking mm -hmm. through the testimonial. I mean, there are a lot of ways we can get them to know that there aren't jobs out there. There is a process of getting jobs abroad, not through somebody coming to pack 20, 40 girls, let go, I will give you jobs. It doesn't work like that. So they lack information. They are not aware. They are not educated. Somebody has to go down to the grassroots to do that. They have to have information. So if they don't have information, it will continue. Now, people need to get another uh, source. They have to have sources of livelihood. If the man can feed himself, feed his family, pay his child's school fees, to go to school alone, once a child has opportunity to go to school alone, there is hope. Mm, yeah, there is school. hope. Just going to school alone gives the father hope. He looks forward to his child going to school, finishing school, and by the next few years, his child would finish secondary school and maybe have a job. Hope sustains the people. Hope keeps people alive. So when people have hope, they can continue to strive to endure whatever situation they are because they can see hope. Mm. When there's no hope, then desperation come in. And these, the, 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 the people that sell this idea of jobs abroad, they are smart and clever people. Mm -hmm. They would have seen desperation somewhere yes. and they exploit it suddenly. Mm -hmm. They it's sell so hope. Easy. They sell hope. Uh -huh. So they exploit desperation. They exploit the poor people and they carry their children and then go and make money. So there has to be, uh, I have talked about education. So there has to be eradication of poverty mm -hmm. through whatever means there has to be eradication of poverty. And this is where employment is very important. Somebody has to have something that gives him money in his pocket to feed his family so that he doesn't have to be dreaming about jobs abroad or in the, in the, nobody has to see desperation in him to come and deceive him or deceive his children about jobs abroad. These are the other things we can do. Now, the media is mm. very crucial. The media is very, very crucial and uh, we need to, we really need to, drum the messages, drum the, what I mean by drum the message, there has to be, to be an intensive campaign targeted at uh, uh, discouraging people from jumping at fabricated stories about jobs abroad. Mm. Now you have to have jingles, short messages, you have to have dramas, 
In the case of dramas, you can even dramatize when you go to the village square. You can dramatize when you go to the village head. You can organize small dramas. Hmm. Okay? On radio. Yeah. Yes. At the village square, people love to relax. You can use it as a relaxation time for people to hear the district, to hear the people talk about human trafficking. You can dramatize, give opportunity for people to talk. So those dramas can be done even on radio. Messages, jingles like... I, there was one that I witnessed. This one had to do with the 2006 census in which I was involved as the reporter that covered it for for the Federal Radio Corporation where mm-hmm. I work. There were short messages. If you are not counted, you don't count. Uh-huh. It's as simple as that. Uh-huh. So if I'm not counted, I don't count. It means I'm not a Nigerian or that I'm not being included in the planning or I will not be budgeted for. Uh-huh. If I'm not counted, I don't count. It was short, but it sent people to get get themselves counted. Mm. Okay? So you can get those small short messages that will now get the people to think and ask questions on the radio, on the television, in the, the, the front page, a small corner of the page of a newspaper. You can do that. You can write commentaries for those that love to read plenty of stuff on the newspaper. Mm-hmm. You can write three minutes commentary on the radio. You can use the local languages because during the census, these messages were translated in languages. Okay, local languages. Hmm. They send the message to the state capital, all the languages translate this into the languages. The, uh, the population agency at the state and local government How many languages? Were doing that. How many languages well, like they In translate? my state, I, was, I, I remember it was translated in my language. Oh, okay. Okay? So... And uh, my language isn't a major one even in my state. But then, well, I can say it was a major in my state, but not in Nigeria. Okay. But at least the census message was translated into my language, into my dialect. It meant mm. much to people that speak my dialect. So if messages so, wait, come to wait, you... Wait, wait, wait. If there are local- 36 states and yours is not a major language, then if I want to have a media campaign in Nigeria, I have to have it in at least 36 languages? Um, not really. The no. way it works, you have local NGOs or local people. Mm-hmm. Like in my organization where I work, there are a lot of people that speak local languages from wherever they are coming from. Mm-hmm. They are not difficult things. But you have local uh, community-based organizations and civil society p- people that can help. That's why I said this whole thing need conglomeration of efforts. Yeah. So you bring in people. At the conference uh, today, we said one person can do something. Um, Helen Barco just spoke about how you, wherever you are, can do some something little and it will have a ripple effect. Mm-hmm. And then local efforts, every person doing something locally will now give us a global result at the end of the day. That's what I'm talking about. So when you go to the state capital... You have some people going to the local government. You have some people going down to the ward head or village level. At those levels, that's where you get the message going down in the various languages okay. that that the people speak, not right from the top. No. Mm-hmm. As okay. you go down, you meet people along the way, relevant stakeholders along the way that will help you translate it in the language that people can understand and uh, uh, um, uh, uh Take in the message. So the the victims of human trafficking out of Nigeria 
Um, the number is very big. This is the thing I've understood this week from being at the Nigerian Women Against Violence conference here. Yes. Um, but I'm not sure if I understand um, what I could do to keep them here because they, if they don't have jobs, there is nothing to keep them here. There's nothing to pull them um, to anchor them in their in their home country. There's no jobs. There's domestic violence. Maybe they're running away from um, beatings every day. Um, the there maybe there's no education. Many many of the children, according to one of the speakers, um, there's no school close enough for them to go to school, and so they move to the city. Well, then other problems happen. When people are desperate. They, they blind themselves to opportunities around them. Oh. So you have to go extra. You have to counsel. You have to counsel them. You have to also let them know that it's not always rosy to everywhere. Hmm. So they have to understand that a big opportunity could be just beside them. But except they open their eyes and change their mindset, they might not see it. Oh. Yes, you might not see that opportunity so long as your eyes are already abroad. Your mind is abroad. So you mm. have to bring back your mind to where you are physically located. Then you might see an opportunity. I agree there is poverty. I agree even those that have been trafficked, they need to be trained. They need to see a vacation they want to do. They need capacity building. They have. They can see something they can do. Let me even bring you bring another perspective to this. I think it's not all about no jobs every time in Nigeria. Mm -hmm. It's people making up their minds. It has to be this. Mm -hmm. I don't have an option as to if I can't get this, I can settle for this. If I cannot get this, people don't want to give themselves options. It's, it has to be this. Mm. Now this is the situation. It's not about no jobs all the time. Other people are making it in Nigeria. Many people that have been rescued from 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 prostitution on account of being trafficked at at uh, um, at on account of being trafficked earlier, they have returned home. They have been um, um, what do you call it? They have been reoriented. They went through mm -hmm. reorientation. They got psychological help as mm -hmm. in therapists talk to them. We got therapists, psychologists talk to them. They go through some training. You know, you choose the trade you want to do. And if they, that training is not available, you are given other options to choose from. And they are trained. Some of them took to tailoring. Some of them took to hairdressing. Some of them that have little education are uh, 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 taught some little computer uh, stuff that they can do to earn a living. So it's not always about no jobs in Africa, mm. but people don't want to explore options around them. The Eldorado is America. They don't have the details, they don't have information, and they jump at it, and they fall into the hands of fraudsters. There are jobs. But in the midst of it, if you listen to people around you and you are willing to be counseled, you are willing to be helped, there could be something you can do until you... I don't have my Eldorado yet. I'm yet to arrive. Yeah. Yes, but I have to make do with what I have now. If I jettisoned what I had for what I am hoping for, I would have been a destitute. Mm. 
So there are jobs, there are opportunities. But if you block your mind to it, that it has to be that Eldorado, you never can get anything and you remain in destitution. That's the way I look at it. So I agree that there are no, the jobs we want are not always there. But there are jobs we can do until we can get that one that we want. I think that wisdom can be applied to people in any country. Okay. There is a uh, a version, you know, the old proverb that says the grass is greener on the other side. On the other side. The other side of that story is then water the grass on your side and see it turn green as well. That is it, Sandy. Mm-hmm. So... Many women, uh, traffic persons have returned home and they have reintegrated into the society and they are now helping others. Some of them have come out of their problems and they now even talk to others. Some mm. of them are invited to conferences to talk. I know some people that have organized a program before and a traffic person went to address them. So I lost touch with them, but I know what is happening in my home country. I'm in the media. I have information. So mm-hmm. it's not bad story all true. And then again, we have problem with our education. Mm. We are not, we, our education is not geared towards self-employment. This idea of a white collar job ah. from the university into an office, air conditioned office, chauffeur driven. It was done when the population was small. It was then when we, we came out of, um, when we gained independence and there were a few graduates, jobs will be waiting for you, a car, a house, everything ready waiting for you. But now the population has grown and we are yet to change the pattern of our education. Mm. We need what we call functional education or technical education where people are trained right from the primary school to know how to do things by their hands, to be creative, mm. okay? Not the white collar job. So... Maybe that's another area also. The education system has to change. It has to be functional. It has to be technically oriented. Give the children opportunity to be creative, to use their hands, to use their brains, so that by the time they come out of school, they know they can do something. Like electrical work, carpentry work, Mm. computer repairs, uh, trying to um, uh, bring up some small, small softwares that can be used in your local community. Mm -hmm. There are one million and one things people can do. But I agree with you, the government has to, government controls the education system and government has to also look at the possibility of changing the education system to reduce the tide or to reduce the instances of unemployment. Sandy, there are problems, but there are solutions. That's what we I love. We only need That's what the I political to will to face it. Well, I could talk to you for an hour, but our podcast is only 30 minutes, and it's at 29 minutes now. I want to give you 30 seconds to tell our listeners um, what your goal is when you return to Nigeria. When I return to Nigeria, being somebody in the broadcast business and being in the broadcast business with the government, I think there's so much that I can do to influence change. For instance, I write a lot of commentaries, three, four minutes commentaries within the one hour news belt. I do that often. I also have the opportunity to to, to project our news reports towards addressing these issues Mm. because we have editorial conferences every Monday. We also have a news management meeting every Wednesday where we discuss issues that should come into our news. Where, What are the policies? How are the policies being targeted? What is the government doing? Is it implementing the policies? Is it being translated into action? 
I think I have a responsibility to do that. I was employed to do that. I will do that, and I love doing that. Oh, that's wonderful. And I have more information to really continue doing it because at my own small level, I will do what I can to influence these changes that we want to make the world a better place for all of us. Well, you certainly exemplify our goals here. When we study the issues, we want to be a voice and make a difference, and you're doing that. And thank you so much for agreeing to be on our podcast today. I appreciate you for bringing me here. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye-bye. I hope you found that interview helpful. Sandy and I will be back together for episode number 57 in two weeks. Before I let you go, just a reminder, if you have any comments, questions, or feedback about today's episode or about anything related to human trafficking, feel free to reach out to us directly at our email address, gcwj at vanguard.edu. That stands for the Global Center for Women and Justice here at Vanguard University. You can also reach out to us by phone at 714-966-6360. Hey, a huge thank you to all of you who are listening to us on the Stitcher Network. If you're listening on Stitcher, thanks for tuning in. If you'd hit that thumbs up or star button to continue to listen to us and give us feedback on Stitcher, that'll help more people find the show. Thanks, everybody, and see you again in two weeks. Thank you.